The views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of KKNW, its management, or other advertisers. This program is sponsored by Stacy Heller of Stacy Connects. Don't ask me to talk. Connection through conversation. Join self-described conversationalist Stacy Heller as she talks with guests about topics and ideas from the ridiculous to the sublime on Don't Ask Me to Talk. Now, here's your host, Stacy Heller. Hello, welcome to the show. I want to thank uh, Brenda Morris, our show sponsor today, Brenda Morris of Brenda Morris Real Estate. Um, if you are interested in getting a new house and being in it for the holidays, like right now is your time because 30 days from now, it's Christmas. So get on it, people. Don't let the trip to Pan trip you up. Uh, in the meantime, I am joined today by Rick Briz. I mean, this is huge. This is my third <laughs> show. And you've been in broadcasting, what did you say, for 40? 46 years. 46 years. Yeah. So there's a little disparity here. But it's fine. Yeah. It reminds me of um, when my son, Charlie, was younger. He was friends with this kid, Ben. And Ben's dad happens to be the principal percussionist for the Seattle Symphony. Well, it didn't occur to me that I shouldn't say, hey, you know, Grace, our daughter, is interested in percussion. Could you give her a lesson? And it's like, that's like asking Bill Gates to, like, give you some like computer Tips. lessons or yeah. like me asking you like, hey, yeah. can I have some lessons? So it's one of the things that I think is charming about me. I just go ahead and just ask. I know. Hey, don't ask me to talk because I will. <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> I may have met my match. I may have met my match. Um, so I typically start out the show talking about uh, last week because I usually get some feedback, especially from family. So last week, my son, Will, was on, and um, a comment that I got is that clearly he's the favorite. (laughs) Now, I know, I think you just have one son, yes? Yes. So you do have a favorite son. Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) So you can say that. My only son. Exactly. I have a cat, though, too, now. Oh, well, so. And he's right up there with Nick. This is the thing. (laughs) When I started my show three weeks ago, I introduced my cats before I introduced my kids. So you can yeah, be sure I got a little blowback about cats. that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, they're good. They're good. They're great pets. I love Sparky. Sparky's my buddy, man. Oh, there He's always go. there for me. I love that. Yeah. Um, we have Percy. So we have Percy, Cole, and Finn. And Percy. Um, three. Three. Three mm-hmm. black tuxedo cats. And um, Percy, people have been hearing the ongoing saga of him. He had to have PU surgery, which I'll tell you after the show what that is. Okay. Um, but Basically, he went from having an Audi to an Innie. Oh. Yeah. So, enough said there. And um, the surgery went a little sideways, and so he had to go back and have more surgery. So, now he is home, and he looks like he got into a fight with a lawnmower. Ooh. Yeah, he's got, like, leg warmers on and a cone and stitches everywhere. But my son set up a Discord channel. Yeah. So that we can check in on him, which is really cool. Well, that's good. Well, I took Sparky to the groomer yesterday and he had his nails, his claws clipped. And so that's the extent of, you know, Sparky's experience, <laughs> heroin well, experience. That's but, so bougie. But he's doing great. <laughs> he's not tearing up my sofa. That's smart. <laughs> like so, he has been Like just trimmed or declawed? Trimmed. Just okay. trimmed. Got no, it. no. They're still there. You know you could do that at home, right? Uh, yeah, but I'm, I don't you're want to take gonna, a chance with You're Sparky. not going to be Th- the bad cop? $13, <laughs> it's worth PetSmart to do it. And oh, get it. that's it? $13, yeah. Oh. 
Okay, that is totally worth it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the update on Percy. Um, I'm going to get you a sponsor, PetSmart, before the show's over. Great. Yeah. Love PetSmart. <laughs> In fact, that's where we got our the litter that the vet recommended. Oh, nice. Yesterday's news, mm-hmm. which, yeah, it's kind of good. Um, so anyway, wait, the, the Will thing. So yeah. everybody assumed that he's the favorite. He's not the favorite. Whomever is in front of me is the favorite. (laughs) (laughs) You're smart. (laughs) Well, you can't have a favorite child. You can have a different connection with each child. Yeah. But it's supposed to be unique. It's not more or less than. Yeah. I mean, no child is more or less than another. Well, I have an older brother, and I was the favorite, though. (laughs) (laughs) I love how when you're a parent, it's like there are no no favorites. But when it's like. My mom liked me best. Well, I do the same thing. Like the Smothers Brothers going way back 100 years oh, ago. Oh, totally. Tommy. My Mom dad like you best. listened to the, um, or watched the Smothers Brothers. Okay, thank you. Yeah, well, Damn. and by the way, my mom is actually, um, is listening right now. So oh, hi, Mom. She's in, um, outside of Philadelphia in Newtown Square. Really? Mm-hmm. Love Philadelphia. Right? Yeah, Pat or Geno's. Oh, she's, I don't know. Well, so steak. here's the deal. Actually, the neighborhood places are better for a cheesecake. Uh, cheese steak uh, sandwich and I went to one that was just oh we were there a few years ago to play the Phillies and it was amazing sat at the counter and this thing was loaded with steak and the cheese and this huge fresh roll oh. it was just amazing so Pat and Gino's eh, okay one's got the sliced meat one's got the diced you yep. know where they yep. chop it up and this place was amazing it was like four or five blocks from the Ritz Carlton where we stayed in Philadelphia and it that's what I do on the road, Stacy. I, I eat. <laughs> <laughs> we find when Dave Niehaus was around, I love Dave Niehaus. I miss him so much. I was with him for 25 years. We always found the great restaurants and the little out-of-the-way places. Well, that those were are the so best. They, they are the best. And they're yeah. like, they play host. I mean, it's kind of what I talked about with my first show. I talked about this this idea of one of the reasons why I liked doing this is I like to host people. I like to welcome yeah. them in. I like to have them be part of the experience. I think you're the same way. Yeah. Um, it's it's a whole vibe. You know what? That's what you need to do. You need to, in your mm-hmm. spare time, write a book yeah, about places. You need to do that. You know, a, a book, Kevin Krebin and I talked about it, talking about different restaurants that we've been to around the American League and now the National League since there's interleague play. Sure. But that would be great because I'd like to put some great pictures of uh, a steak from Gibson's or uh, the eggplant parmesan, you know, or the spaghetti or the pasta and the meatballs from uh, Carmine's Restaurant in Chicago on Brush Street. Uh, you know, that would be, that right? would be fun. I'd like to catalog And if you have that. any um, pictures, then you oh, could yeah. put pictures in of oh, food. Oh, I got pictures the... on my phone I could show you from Carmine's. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, well... The eggplant parmesan, Stacy is like this big. I'm holding my hands about a foot apart. It's, uh-huh. It was just layered in like lasagna. and Oh, oh it's so delicious. You get a side of linguine. Oh, my gosh. I also get a side of meatballs, you know, too, to go with it just because I don't want to miss out on anything. You're making me <laughs> Sit outside on a beautiful oh, summer afternoon, gosh. then go to the ballpark. Yeah. Okay. Now, you don't get full. <laughs> oh, yeah, I get so, full. But then I guess, I guess calling a game, you know, you work that off and you Not get really. all. Not really. I sit there for. <laughs> <laughs> For hours. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to throw you a bone here. <laughs> yeah, no, that'll work it off. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The next funny. day, if I go to the do, get on the treadmill or something, I do. There you go. Yeah. See, now, the food thing, I grew up and my family was, uh, it was a very waspy upbringing. Yeah. And so um, my mom 
does not like to cook. Oh, really? She sets an amazing table. In fact, she was very proud. Can't of, eat a plate, though. No, but it makes your food taste better. It does? Yes. Oh. It's true. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's true. And she has figured out a way to... Um, to get out of doing the cooking. So she, really? last week when I spoke with her, she was very excited because she's having in her bubble, um, she's having a few friends over and she's basically had all of these people bring all of the elements. She's yeah. doing mashed potatoes and I think she's wow, supplying she's getting out there. the place <laughs> and the liquor. Way to go, Bob. Right? Oh, good. Got right? that. Right. And the potatoes are Bob Evans frozen potatoes. I love those. I've been eating those for the past two weeks. Okay. I discovered Bob Evans potatoes, the, the macaroni and cheese, but the potatoes are awesome. And the sour cream and chive ones, oh, my goodness. You microwave them for three minutes, stir them up, put them back in, another two and a half minutes. They're awesome. Get you another sponsor here. Stacey. I know. Mom, did Bob you hear that? Evans, Try those. Incredible. Wow. Okay, so that's what she's serving. Yeah. And she has figured out how to get out of it. Now, Years ago, when we were little, we would go to upstate New York. We would um, travel to see family. Syracuse. Syracuse. Yeah. Been totally. Many times. Oh, yeah. When I was with the Yankees AAA Club in Columbus, Ohio, we played the Syracuse Chiefs at Old MacArthur Stadium. Okay. Old ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my Makes gosh. Memories. That's cool. Um, yeah. Both my mom and dad grew up in the Syracuse area. My dad yeah. went to Syracuse. My mom went to Lemoyne. Yeah. Um, so cool. we're, we're very much upstate people. And I remember we would go for Thanksgiving and... I would, you know, it was hunting season and you would see all the deer on the the roofs of the cars. And Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It was fascinating. <laughs> like the weird things that as a kid you remember. And I was like, yeah, I, I that's never got depressing. Into hunting. Yeah. yeah, no, me neither. Um, but then as we um, we started doing Thanksgiving at home, then we lived in Princeton, New Jersey. And oh. my mom had fully embraced not wanting to cook. And so... Oh. We used to go, we would get dressed up for Thanksgiving, and my brothers and myself would go to this woman, Mrs. Garner, in another part of Princeton, and we would go pick up our Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, my goodness. And the smells would arrive, and oh, that was it. That sounds so good. I, w- I was so lucky because my mother was the greatest cook in the world. I mean, she could make dirt taste good. Uh, of course, I've never had dirt, but well, she homemade <laughs> pasta, fettuccine noodles, the gnocchi. Uh, lasagna, uh, eggplant parmesan, any anything she cooked was outstanding. And I was just so fortunate, man. I, I'd wow. watch her cook, never had a recipe, never measured anything. I got a picture of my mom in my kitchen where I love to cook. I don't bake, but I love to cook. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, I, I learned a lot, especially when I was in the minor leagues for eight years. You know, I had to save some money because I went making anything in the minor leagues. I made two hundred dollars a year my first year, five hundred dollars a year, wow. seven hundred thousand, and and so uh, I, I learned how to cook. And if I was stumped a little bit, I'd call up my mom and say, "Ma, how much of this did you put in? How much? You, I don't know. Just, I don't know. It's I, just I, a I taste. It in, just like, taste it. Yeah, and, yep, yep. And it and it came out good, not like my mom's, but it was okay. And so that's how I learned to cook from her. I watched her all the time make that, you know, by hand, the, the, make the dough and roll it out, and then mm-hmm. flip it over, flip it over, flip it over, cut it, and all of a sudden shake it out, and then all of a sudden you got these beautiful fettuccine noodles. Or roll it out and cut them in pieces, and with her fingers she'd do roll the, them toward to make the gnocchi. Yes. A lot of women would use a fork, you uh-huh. know, to do that. And, no, you can just. Oh, my. And the spaghetti sauce she would just cook all day. And now, is it sauce or gravy? Sauce. Okay, because some people will call it gravy. Yeah, no, it was always spaghetti sauce. So this is the op. So I grew up this waspy environment, right? 
Now, my husband, he is half Italian and he is half German. And I like to joke that uh, my father-in-law, the German side, Heller, um, defected to the Italian side because the food was better. And so my mother-in-law, her maiden name is Longo. Her parents, yesterday was her birthday, by the way. Um, Happy birthday. And her parents, Salvatore and Vincenza. And so... Pete, my husband, grew up with all of that. He grew up with, you know, the amazing meals and the Italian side and all of that. And so Thanksgiving then, you know, from my family, when Pete and I started dating, I remember I went to my first Thanksgiving at their house. And my mother-in-law is a former kindergarten teacher. So right there, by virtue of that job, you welcome chaos. <laughs> and um, they lived in Waterbury, That's Connecticut at the time, right? Yeah. And I saw a kindergarten cop. It's a tough job. It's well, and yeah. I mean, it is not said. a tumor. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I remember that movie. Yeah. Um, and you know, so between that chaos and and everything was homemade. I mean, even the pumpkin oh, pie yeah. wasn't from the can. It was oh. my sister in law would yeah. like everything. cook the pumpkin and the whole thing. And I remember that Thanksgiving having to retreat and like calling my parents like. It's so loud. Yeah. It's so much. I and know. It's, that's the fun part of it. But now I've defected to that side. Yeah. So now we host at our house every year soup and sours. Pete makes this amazing butternut um, squash soup, and there's some acorn squash in it, and he does a crouton that has Gruyere cheese and herbs on it. Oh, my goodness. And we invite people for an open house to come over, that and he serves so whiskey sours. Oh, that sounds really good. Oh, they're really good. Yeah. They are um, amazing. With Canadian Club, and if you make it with any better whiskey, it's just not the same. No, it's got to be Canadian it's Club. It's got to be Canadian Club. Yeah. So, you know, it's a it's an amazing tradition. And that's, yeah. um, you know, it's one of the things that with my marriage vows came Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. And then yeah, the other thing that. that came with my marriage vows is, of course, baseball. Yeah. Which, you know, is something you know a little bit about. Yeah. A uh, little bit. A little yeah. bit. A little bit. <laughs> Been around well, the game for a while. But I, I love the traditions you were talking about. Uh, my Aunt Barbara, my mom's sister, always had Thanksgiving, the turkey and the, the meat dressing inside the turkey, which, oh, my gosh, I love that. And, of course, she had the bread dressing, too, on the side. Mm-hmm. And then my mom would always do Christmas with all our relatives over, and, and she would do a ham because we had the turkey at Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving and lasagna and all the other stuff. She made this homemade cranberry sauce, which, I'm by the way, I'm making tonight. You know, cranberry sauce, cranberries, uh, walnuts, and apples, and it's just fabulous. Ooh. But uh, there were those were such fun times and loud, and mm-hmm. and uh, the family having fun. And at my grandma's house, uh, every Sunday we'd have dinner over there after church, and all the kids run around and play, and we'd eat like crazy. All this homemade pasta, and this wonderful meal, and then the guys would go downstairs in the basement. Well, my grandfather he made this homemade wine, and uh. my dad and my uncles and the neighborhood guys would go downstairs and smoke cigars and drink beer and drink wine and play cards. And the ladies would clean up up there and, uh-huh. and get ready gossip to and gossip chatting and have and a good time. And we'd be playing and then we'd have dinner. We'd have dinner at night. And, right. And then we'd go home and just pass out. Oh, I mean. <laughs> but we did that for the holidays. And then on Christmas Eve, we'd go to my aunt's house. She wasn't my aunt, but I called her my Aunt Louise. She lived across the street from my grandmother. Mm-hmm on the south side of Chicago, and she would always have Christmas Eve, and we'd have the Feast of the Seven Fishes. We do that. You know, with the spaghetti and the calamari mm-hmm. and all the different fishes in the sauce and everything, and yep. it's just, awesome. Oh, bringing back a lot of great memories. Oh, here, I mean, it's, Thank you. oh, are you kidding? I yeah. I 
love that piece. And, yeah. you know, I just, it's something that we we had in my family plenty of traditions growing up, but, you know, food and that idea of gathering, that's just such, that's a, a tradition and memories that yeah. you can taste, you can hear. I mean, you can oh, just, man. it all comes together. It's a full yeah. sensory experience. And my father, thank God he did this. He, he got his eight millimeter movie camera out all the time and took movies of everything that happened. I mean, he has my brother coming home from the hospital. Who's wow. My brother's 70. And they just turned 70. And I just, ooh, I just turned 67. And he's got movies of him coming out the car with my mother. And we got all these Halloweens and Christmases wow. and Thanksgiving. And downstairs at my grandparents' house and my grandpa and grandma had this beautiful garden in the backyard where they had, uh, you know, Tomatoes. He made yep. oh, he, he made he grew the freshest tomatoes in the world. Where my grandmother would can them and can make them. the spaghetti sauce, and and my job was to go down in the cellar and get the you know those mason jars full mm-hmm. of tomatoes to give to my grandmother and my mom to make the sauce. And uh, oh, and they had two pear trees in the backyard. My brother and I used to climb these pear trees and eat these pears that weren't quite ripe yet. You know, they're better not ripe. Right. They, you know? like, yes. they're so hard, but we wanted to go up there. And my grandmother would say, "I told you not to eat those oh, pears," you know. But the, she would take the tomatoes and put them in the windowsill to ripen some more. Then my brother and I would go outside in the backyard with a salt shaker and just eat them like an apple. Mm-hmm. Oh, Thank you for the great memories. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it is my pleasure. We're oh, gonna. I'm hungry. I am too. Yeah. I am totally am. We are going to take a really quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about some other traditions. Okay. All right. Sounds great. The pandemic has proven that your home is more than just the roof over your head. It's where you and your family spend most of your time. If your current home no longer fits your family or lifestyle, contact Brenda Morris, real estate advocate and agent of change. She believes you should love where you live. And with Brenda Morris Real Estate, your needs always come first. Brenda has a proven system and resources to help you. Personal service, professional standards, and exceptional experience. Call Brenda at 425-466-2595 or visit her website, sellbybrenda.com. That's sellbybrenda.com. Stacy Heller of Stacy Connects likes doing two things, talking and connecting people with their potential. If you'd like to talk about your potential with Stacy, contact her at stacy at stacyconnects.com. Alternative Talk 1150. It's good for what ails you. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. So before the break, we were talking with Rick Riz. And by the way, it occurs to me, hello, that I didn't really introduce for anybody that doesn't know who you are. I don't know why people wouldn't know who you are, but you are the lead broadcaster for the Seattle Mariners. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know that. I know that. <laughs> I sort of know that belatedly. But um, yeah. but there are it's some nice people out there that don't necessarily know because I have a lot of East Coast cohorts. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're listening or they're being paid Yankee to listen. Fans. Yes. Damn Yankees. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a Yankee fan. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Which brings me to. Um, so the other thing that I did for love, if you will. So besides Thanksgiving becoming my favorite holiday, 
I I grew up in my family. We watched the Opens, like golf and tennis. You know, the America's Cup. We watched you know the World Series, certainly in the Super Bowl. But my dad was not following you know baseball a ton or football or whatever. And then I started dating Pete, and Pete is you know big baseball, big baseball, big football. I mean basketball, like any sport. So. He took me on a date to the old Yankee Stadium. Oh, I love old Yankee Stadium. And I had never been to a a major league game. I'd never been to any professional sports game ever. And I remember walking through the tunnel to get to our seats and coming out. Yeah. And seeing the green grass. And it was like, yes. And I remember feeling like this isn't like a church, this is a cathedral. Yes, exactly. And I suddenly understood. And then sitting there and talking about that idea of the um, sensory memories and all of those things. Yeah. It was an amazing experience mm-hmm. to, you know, the smells and the yells yeah. and the players and the, the dynamics. Sensory overload. Oh. Visuals, the smells that you talked about and the, the audio that you hear, the, the vendors in the background. I remember the first game I saw at uh, Comiskey Park in Chicago watching the White Sox with my dad. My dad took my brother and I. I was... Six years old, 1959, and uh, walking up the first base entranceway. And um, as soon as I walked up, we got there late. And the White Sox were playing the New York Yankees. Yeah. So the game had just started. And my dad and my brother were in front of me. We walked up the steps, got up to the row where the box seats were. And our seats were in the right field bleachers. We had to walk way down to the bleachers. But I, as soon as I came up through that entranceway, I saw this green grass just explode in front of my eyes. I go, my Gosh, I'd never seen anything mm-hmm. that vividly green in all my life. I looked out, there's Louis Aparicio, Nelly Fox, wow. shortstop second. But there was a guy kneeling in the on-deck circle on his bat, and he had a number seven on his back. Okay. Mickey Mantle. Yeah, that's... I, I'm, I have Even I know that. Right now. Okay, by the way. I have goosebumps right now. But that was my first introduction to a Major League Baseball game at six years of age. Wow. We got there late. My dad said, hey, why don't we go next week? You know, the game's about to start, and we're still in the car looking for a party. And Cleveland's in town. They said, Pop, you know, no, I want to go see my first game. We're here. We're at the ballpark. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was my first Major League game as a six-year-old kid. And then we walked down the right field line, upstairs, went upstairs to the bleachers, and it was just an amazing day for me and my brother, and uh, I'll never forget it. That's amazing. You yeah. you got a good 15, 16, 17-year jump on me because I was in my early 20s before I had seen my first game. And right. you're right. I mean, I can hear the vendors saying, oh, beer yeah. here, get your beer here. Yeah. And exactly. And, uh, you know, it was an amazing experience. Yeah. And, um you know, it's it's just something that you don't forget. Yeah. And now, did I, you play baseball? Yeah, I played baseball. As uh, have you ever seen the movie Sandlot? Uh, I've told this yes. story a million times. So um, that was a story in my life. Behind my house, where I grew up on Carpenter Street on the south side of Chicago, we were lucky. We had this big easement where they didn't build a row or a street of homes, and then there was another block on the other side of that. Okay. So we had this field behind our house that became our sandlot. So we'd get out there with our push lawnmowers yep. and dig baselines and find something, a rock or a piece of paper to be a base. And we played baseball all day long. There was all, a bunch of kids my age. Yep. i just go down the block, you know, and get Dave Cook and Gary Cook and the Radosoviches. There were four boys in that family, Tommy Cota, Danny Bolda, 
uh, my brother, Meek, uh, Chip Jacobson, Phil Colantonio, and uh, Russell Moulton. We played baseball all day long in that sandlot. We even had the dog, too. Remember in the movie there yes. was Hercules? Yes. Okay. On the third base side, there was uh, the learner's backyard, and they had its big German shepherd. Mo. Wow, you really did have this movie as like oh, you. Honest, it, everything was the same, Stacy. So anytime we only had one baseball, you know, and we had to save that thing for a long time. So anytime the ball went in Mo's backyard, it was my job as the littlest guy, fastest guy, <laughs> maybe the dumbest guy, to jump over the fence, run, go get the ball, throw the ball back into the sand lot, and then run and jump over the fence before Mo got to me or the ball, and we can keep playing. Did it every time, except one time. And oh. as I was jumping over the fence, Mo got me right in my, can I say buttocks on the air? I believe you can say okay, that. Okay, is that okay? And uh, thank God I had a new pair of Levi's, which I my bought, mom bought for the first, very first time. And uh, so I was okay. Mo finally let go, and I kept playing baseball. But, yeah, I played baseball as a kid, Little League, high school, walked on and made the college team, the JV team at Southern Illinois University, and uh, then got into broadcasting. So I played baseball all my life. I love it. Well, it's and I have come to really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I've come to appreciate now really all sports. I still cannot quite get my head around football. I just uh, I, I love it. Yeah, I, I just We can't. played football in Sandlot. When it came time for the football season, that's why I broke my nose once out of five times. I broke my nose and one time was playing football in at Sandlot. And then during the winter, Stacy, we had two firemen, no, one three firemen who lived on our block. And uh, when it snowed, we'd take our shovels. We had all all us kids, and we'd form a rink. And they'd and, take the hose, right? And, and they'd, they'd get the hoses from the fire station. We had a uh, fire hydrant across in the Miller's front yard. We dragged it through the Logan's backyard to the field, and they would turn on the hydrant and flood it, and it stayed inside the bank that we made, uh, that we formed a rink. And then the next morning, we'd have a couple inches of ice we could skate on and play it's hockey. such an amazing thing. Yeah. I, that stuff just doesn't happen anymore. No, no. I was outside all day as a kid. You oh. know, summer, spring, winter, freezing my hands off. You know, my dad had these huge Christmas lights on the bushes, you know, those big lights. Oh, yes. So we had snowball fights. My hands before I'd take my hands and wrap it around one of those lights and warm my hand, and then keep throwing snowballs at it. <laughs> well, and you would go out, and I mean, I remember in the summer, my mom, I had my bike with my banana seat and, yeah, you know, my towel, yes, mm-hmm. and my towel and my um, my pool club card and a tennis racket, and she'd be like, be home by such and such a time. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. you know, you were out all day. day. You were out all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I had to be home by 5 o'clock. My dad was home at 5.30, wash my hands, you know, helps out the table, dinner, 5.30, and, uh, man, we ate as a family, and then, boom. Cleaned up. My brother washed the dishes. I dried, or I dried, and I washed the dishes. He dried the dishes, and then we would go outside and play, and play, all, play all night long till mm-hmm. the lights went on. We played tag and Did you play Red Spud? Rover. Spud. Do you know the game Spud? No, it's Spud. It's this game. I I can't decide if it's an East Coast thing. It was a game where you would call a number, and then you had to like whoever had the number had to run and get the ball, and then you had to try to get people out, and it was a whole thing. It's called football. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's not. We played Red Rover, where we had to bust through the line with kids holding their hands and everything, tag and it, and hide and go seek, and we just had a blast as kids. Now, since you played baseball, yeah. did you ever have, you know, and you obviously, you said you were a walk-on at school, did you go to school 
um, obviously you didn't go in thinking I'm going to play baseball since right. you were a walk-on. Right. Did you always know you wanted to do the broadcasting piece? Yes. I always wanted to be a broadcaster. Ever since I was, like I said, when I was 12 years old and pretend I was Jack Brickhouse and he wrote me that letter and thank goodness he wrote me that letter. And because uh, I kept it forever, I wish I had it. But in the back of my mind, I always wanted to be Louis Aparicio, who was the shortstop for the Chicago White Sox Hall of Fame shortstop. I loved Louis Aparicio and Nelson Fox, who was his second baseman. And uh, I had no visions of grandeur of being the next shortstop for the Chicago White Sox. But in the back of my mind, there was still a little, mm-hmm. little teeny tiny shred of hope. You know, I could play in high school. Then I went to college. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget this as long as I live. So I hope there's a lot of kids listening here uh, today. Because uh, the first day of school at Southern Illinois, I'm 17 years old, mm-hmm. and I went to the athletic department to go see the baseball coach, uh, Itchy Jones, Richard Itchy Jones. Oh and gosh. to this day, we're great friends. And I said, uh, you know, I walked into the office, introduced myself. Hi, coach. I'm Rick Riz. I said, I'd like to try out for the baseball team. He said, well, we have a few spots on the JV team. Everybody else has a scholarship. So bring your glove shorts and, you know, we start tryouts tomorrow. He said, where'd you go to school? I said, Eisenhower High School. Oh, he said, Blue Island, Randy Rose. I go, yeah, that was my high school baseball coach. Okay. Because he recruited or tried to recruit some players off our high school team, obviously not me, but okay. we had like three or four really good players, Richie Ladawig and Stevie Cowan, David Opit and Pete Shredievic, uh Kenny Nemeth, these are all guys I played with. Okay. And uh, so he tried to recruit some of those guys, and he recruited one guy, but he hurt his knee, and he ended up not going there. But anyway, so the next day, I changed in the locker room in the arena there, walked out to the field. I saw like 200 kids out there playing catch. I go, oh, man, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to make this team. So I'll never forget, Stacey, I turned around. I walked back to the arena, put my hand on the door. I can remember this vividly, mm-hmm. like it happened yesterday. It's a defining moment, I suspect. Yeah. And I took my hand off the door. I said, what are you doing? You know, I'm quitting before I even tried to start. So I said, what would I have to lose? So I went back out there. And I started playing catch with a guy getting loose. And, you know, and a few days later, we'd uh, start playing games and squad games. And guys would quit. Guys would get cut. Mm-hmm. Weeks went by. Guys quit. Guys got cut. And uh, it came down to just a handful of players. And I made, I made the team. And I'll never forget, when I got my uniform, uh, I slept in it in my dorm room. I put my uniform on, and I slept in it in my dorm room. My roommate said, what are you doing? I said, I earned this uniform, you know. Yeah. And I slept in my uniform as a, as a freshman, you know, and I played for two and a half years. And then he got into broadcasting. I had to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And But that was one of the greatest moments of my life because I didn't give up on myself. I, I tried, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the broadcasting thing worked out. My college coach and I decided that was a good avenue to go to my junior year because the starting second baseman on the varsity, I was working out with the varsity in my junior year, Howie Mitchell, and he was a great second baseman. And so he already been playing for two years and uh, said, coach, I got a chance to become the sports director of the local ABC affiliate in Carbondale, WCIL. And they hired me as the sports director and they did a 15 minute sports show every day, Monday through Friday. And did play-by-play for the basketball team in high school, and excuse me, and the football team. I said, if you let me do baseball, I said, I'll take the job. So I took the job. I went to Coach Jones. I said, Coach, I got an opportunity to be the sports director at WCIL and mm-hmm. do play-by-play. He said, Ricky, we said, what did you come to school for? I said, I want to be a major league broadcaster. He said, you know, take the job. So yep. we 
So he helped me decide. <laughs> that's well. That's what a good coach does, right? Yeah. And yeah, you know, he's my buddy. I call him still to this day, and we still talk. I love that. Well, and you know, it's it's taken me a long time to get to the place where I'm sitting here and doing this show. And if you think about the things in your life that you've always been attracted to, or you that you like, or I like to say, make your tail wag. Yeah. Um, you know, things that you get excited about, and it's an involuntary, love. right? It's love, yeah. and. You know, as my son is writing his college essays and he's having to write things, um, he had to write a story about creativity. And we have a lot of artists in our family and he loves it and he appreciates it. But his creativity shows up in a different way. He's more of a problem solver. He's a builder of things. And and so him writing his essay about how he created this discord channel for Percy and that, you know, he sees things in a different way and he. Mm-hmm. Um, is able to solve problems, you know, that right there, that's one of his skills and talents and his loves. And, you know, he also wrote an essay about how he loved this law and society class that he took and he loves discourse and arguing. Um, and that really made an impact. And the thing is, he doesn't have to decide one path or another. They're all going to end up rolling into whatever he does. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome. what's happened with you. I mean, your love of baseball, obviously. Yeah. I was so for I'm so blessed, Stacy. Every day of my life, I, I I get to go to a ballpark and do my job, you know. And I look out at a field, and I, I, I still pinch myself every day. And like I said, I've been doing this for 46 years, eight years in the minor leagues, mm-hmm. you know, in Alexandria, Louisiana, making $200 a month. My first job in baseball was the clubhouse guy. I washed the uniforms, shined the shoes of the visiting players. The clubhouses, Stacy, were nothing but two trailers that were plumbed for toilets and showers okay. and things like that. So I had to wash the uniforms before the game early in the morning and get them ready for the game. And then I'd go up to the booth when the game started. And I did three innings of play-by-play, the middle three innings. And then in the, after the game was over, I went down to the clubhouse and made sure the guys, you know, I had towels and wow. clean the next morning to do it again. But anyway, eight years in the minor leagues and now 38 years in the big leagues, it just it paid off because I love what I do. I didn't give up. So I hope there's a lot of kids out there that realize that me, we still live in the greatest country in the world where if you have a dream, you, you can be what you want to be. And I tell kids this, that there's only one person that can stop you, and that's yourself. So You true. know, you got to believe in yourself. you you got to believe that you can do it. And I get, for some reason, I gave myself 10 years, and I made it in eight, eight long years of the minor leagues, Alexandria, Louisiana, two years in Amarillo, Texas, with the Padres farm system, three years in Memphis, Tennessee. The Memphis Chicks. We were a double-A farm club for the Montreal Expos. And I got the job in Memphis, and I told my dad, call him. I said, Dad, I got a new job. I'm going to Memphis. He said, what team are you working for? The Memphis Chicks. He says, that's a girls' softball team? I said, come on, Dad. <laughs> it's the Chickasaws. The Memphis Chickasaws. You know? And then I went to Columbus, Ohio with the Yankees. Triple-A farm club, the Columbus Clippers. Donnie Manningly was there, and mm-hmm. to this day we're good buddies. I remember him as a kid. He was our left fielder, turned into a who I think should be in the Hall of Fame first mm-hmm. baseman. And then, you know, Dave Niehaus liked my tape in 1983, mm-hmm. and I came here in 1983. So, yeah, love what you do, do what you love, and believe in yourself, kids. And, uh, man, this is a great country. where We can still do that. It's, it is so true. And, you know, the point that you made about that moment when you knew that you could go back into the clubhouse or you could go back out, you know, I yeah. say to my kids – if you don't ask the question, then the answer is always going to be no. But if you ask right. the question, people actually really want to be asked to do things. Yeah. 
Yeah. People want to be seen, known as a subject matter expert. They want to help. I mean, it's innate within, I think, most people that you want to help. So, you know, the same way that you heard from um, the gentleman that wrote you the letter. Jack Brickhouse. I mean, that made an impact. And the fact that you wrote and he wrote back, you know, those are those moments that when you can do that for somebody. Yeah. It makes a huge impact. Yeah. And you have that responsibility. You know, I've been doing this for a long time and I'm still doing that. You know, if kids want to talk, I'm going to talk to a kid on Monday. You know, his name is Will Disley. And a friend of mine asked me, would you mind talking to him? He's going to get into broadcast. And I said, love to. So uh, we, we can pass it on. That's what we need to do. It's our responsibility, you know. Very much so. And I think the legacy of the hard work of, you know, um, wanting enough that you're going to wash the uniforms and make sure that the shoes oh. are cleaned and, yeah, you know, that whatever tough. that version of that is <laughs> today, to right? But yeah. I, I mean, that's, there's a work ethic there and a drive yeah. to want to do something. Yeah. My buddy, John Dietrich, uh, who I went to college with, and he helped me on the basketball broadcast and was a huge baseball fan. He ran this business called the Downstairs Arcade. It was a pinball place. It was long before video games. And after going down Illinois Avenue to Merlin's or Bonaparte's or the Peppermint Lounge, I'd always stop off, me and my buddies that played baseball at the downstairs arcade, and he had these hot dogs in this rotisserie, leftover hot dogs. And mm-hmm. we'd go in there, and he'd just let, let us have them. We'd play pinball all night. That's and fun. So he got a job as a general manager in the minor leagues, and he was the one that called me up and said, hey, what are you doing after I graduate? And I said, well, I'm going to start looking for a job. He said, come down to Alexandria. I need a clubhouse guy, and I'll let you do three innings of play-by-play. So John Dietrich, my, one of my best friends in the whole world, got me, got me started in the baseball. You need that guy. You need, you need a, one little door to crack open that you can burst open. Mm-hmm. You, know, you need that just that one job, that one opportunity, and uh, then from there it's, it's up to you. Absolutely. Everybody needs a fan. Yeah. So exactly. we're going to take a very short break here. No, no, let's keep going. <laughs> I owe it to Brenda. Oh yeah, Brenda, we gotta we gotta take a break for the real estate lady. Exactly. Yes. So, um, and actually, I'm gonna do a uh, a live host read here about Brenda. So, Brenda's okay. actually a good friend of mine. Um, she is part of Brenda Morris Real Estate. I mean, her namesake. And what is really cool about what Brenda does is she takes a portion of the money that she makes and she donates it to this nonprofit that's called the Pink Daisy Project. And it was started by a friend of hers, actually, who was diagnosed with breast cancer just mm. a year before Brenda was. And um, both of them, obviously, survivors. Good. Go ladies. And her friend saw a need for young women, especially, that are going through um, the process, going through treatment, going through recovery, that they may need help with. Uh, gas for the car or groceries or whatever it is that they can do to ease their mind. And so Brenda is um, a very proud survivor and she loved the idea. And so she makes sure that any of the proceeds that she makes, um, she takes a portion of that and she donates it to this uh, Pink Daisy project. So, you know, if you're looking for a real estate agent that um, is trying to help you find uh, the heart of your home, know that she's also somebody that has a huge heart. And uh, it's a pretty amazing thing. So if you're wow. interested in connecting with Brenda, you can find her through her website, which is uh, sellbybrenda.com. And it's sell and then buy, B-U-Y, brenda.com. You can also call her at 425-466-2595. What's that number again? 
Oh, I'm glad you asked, Rick. It's 425-466-2595. Give Brenda a call. Give Brenda a call. Right now. Right now. Especially if you want to be in your home by Christmas. Yes. She put that on her Instagram this week, and it made me a little panicked. (laughs) I was like, I want to be in my... Oh, wait. I am in a house. Um, Speaking of Christmas, I know that um, you just finished this up, wrapped this up um, this past Saturday, but talk to me about Toys for Kids. Yeah, it's a, thank you for asking. Um, it's a, a little charity that we started 25 years ago, Dave Henderson and myself. 1995 was a heck of a year for the ball club. You know, we had a great run and made the playoffs for the very first time. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And um, one night after ball game, Dave Henderson, who we just hired to help us out on radio and television, I worked many games with him. He worked with us for about 14 years, sadly passed away about five years ago. But anyway, during that 1995 season, Hendrew and I would always go out to Pioneer Square after a ball game and have a cold beer and just relax, talk baseball, laugh with, talk with people. Mm-hmm. We went to McCoy's Firehouse, and I'm sitting there at the bar with Hendrew having a cold beer, and I was watching television. I saw a report on television about the homeless situation in King County. And if you ever had been in Pioneer Square, you could see the homeless situation, you know, and it, it's sad, but I didn't know about the layers and the depth mm-hmm. of, of homelessness. So I watched this report, and they said, I'll never forget it, Stacy. there were 8,316 homeless that they could count in King County. Wow. So I turned to Hendu, and I said, Hendu, I said, man, that's a lot of homeless people. I said, over 8,000 people. I wonder how many are kids. Now, this is late September. Mariners are going great. We're catching up on the California Angels. They were the California Angels at that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I said, let's get the guys together. And I, I always wanted to do something. I think it's time to do it. I said, let's get the guys together, raise our own money, and go find these kids, find kids who are in the homeless situation with their moms, and buy them toys at Christmas time. He said, that's a great idea. So Hendo and I got to work. I said, uh, I'll find these kids. A friend of mine was running the First Avenue Service Center. His name was Terry. And um, all the guys, 12 of us, went to a restaurant in Issaquah, and we had a dinner. There was Jay Buner, Edgar Martinez, and Dan Wilson, and Hendu, and myself, and Billy Hasselman, and Johnny Moses, and Julio Cruz, and, um, oh, my goodness, uh, Aaron Seeley, and John Olerud, Omar Vizquel, uh, Billy Kruger, and we all pooled our own money. Quite a dinner. $18,000. Wow. So I had all these checks, and I went to the bank the next day, and I opened up an account. And uh, so I said, I'd like to open up an account for a charity that we're going to be started. And she goes, oh, what's, what, what, what's the name you want to put on the account? What's the name of your charity? I said, well, we don't really have a name for our charity. We just got the money here. She says, what are you going to do with the money? And I said, we're going to buy toys for kids. She goes, how about that? <laughs> so the bank teller at the Bank of America, where I bank, named our charity. That's amazing. So we bought toys for about, I found these kids through Terry. Mm-hmm. That uh, he, he directed me to the Broadview Women's Shelter. There's uh, 33 to 35 moms every Christmas time there with about 60 to 70 kids. Okay. And Harborview Hospital had a Christmas party for kids that they would take care of during the course of the year that they would be invited for a Christmas party. Okay. So we bought, with our $18,000, we bought toys for about three or 400 kids. Four years later, my good buddy, Virg Fazio, who was the p- publisher of this Seattle P.I., called me up and said, hey, Rip, he heard about it. What are you guys doing? I said, well, just the, us 12 or to get our money together. We're buying toys for kids at Christmas time. He said, well, we have a little dinner and auction. Why don't we, you come, get some baseball stuff, and we'll give you the money. So we raised about $20,000. From that point on, we started our dinner and auction. We kept, long story short, we kept raising more money. We found more need 
mm-hmm. from we went from long story short last year's auction Stacy at the Bellevue Hyatt we raised over $715,000. Wow. We now work with over 30 different homeless agencies in King County and last year we bought toys for over 12,000 homeless kids and underserved children and we also started the Dave Henderson scholarship fund award and who passed away five years ago mm-hmm. and this year and last year we awarded six five thousand dollar college scholarships we started with one the following year two and the following year four in the last few years three years six college scholarships so it's really it's really grown and it's been so rewarding and a lot of fun for all of us and and hopefully we're we're helping out these kids and the toy means hope you know, for one of these kids. Absolutely. And, and believing in a dream and what I, you know, my takeaway from that story goes right back to the core of the story where the Mariners are riding a high, everything is going great. And you had the presence of mind, this original group of you that when something is going well, you want to share it. Yeah. And that, you know, yes, it's exciting and maybe whatever it is that you're doing and you've been successful, it's, you know, something that you've always wanted and the tendency is to like hold it tight, but it's, it's so much better when you share it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what you started with. And this idea that even in the reverie of like, Oh, everything's going great and whatever you had a moment and it was, you know, what can I do to give back? Yeah. Yeah. We, we saw a need in the community, Hendu and I, and we sat down and said, this is something we have to do. We just have to do it once we found the kids Mm -hmm. and then to actually have the Christmas parties and now Marco Gonzalez is so involved with us. And he and his wife, Monica, went to the Harborview Hospital and passed out, you know, toys with kids. Kyle Lewis, a couple of years ago, we went to the Ronald McDonald House. We, we go to four or five different places that have the Christmas party. And they're so vested in it now that um, it's no problem getting these guys, you know, to help out every year and to help out, to have other people help out, my friends, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, I've been amazing. Ken and Marissa Hughes from Jack's, Joe Wingen from the Joker Pub, and I go on and on. Kelly Lynch, our friend, and mm-hmm. and her family, and so many other people. Uh, I could be here for hours talking about all the help that we get. Uh, the volunteers, Heather Jones. Heather Jones is our executive director. She has taken us from here to way up here. That's amazing. Because it takes a lot of work, and now I can concentrate on selling the sponsorships mm-hmm. and tables and acquiring silent auction items and live auction items. Her mom and dad, George and Mary Jones, have been so valuable and so many wonderful people have helped us out in this cause. And we've really grown over the last, ooh, wow, 25 years. That's amazing. Now, I realize that um, you've, you're already in the stage where you're buying things, but I assume you collect money all year? Yes, we do. So if people have, have yes. not given... Um, you know, there's a lot of times the charities that uh, a lot of people are usually giving to this time of year because yeah. we're all COVID bound. Um, you know, they may not be seeing it as much. So if people want to give now yes. or next year, what where can they find you? They can go to our w- website, which is rickstoysforkids.org. Uh, rickstoysforkids.org. And you can go online. You can donate because we have other different things that we do during the course of the year. We do a Christmas in July where we bring about 350 kids from the Atlanta Street Center out to T-Mobile Park. We, we buy them all T-shirts. We oh got gosh. seven or eight Santa Clauses up there. And uh, so we get them to the ballpark with their moms and their dads and, and have a great time with them. And we have a silent auction on the main concourse. Uh, Heather has arranged for a day of beauty for the ladies oh and the gosh. kids at the Broadview Women's Shelter, the Joe Bay Salon, 
uh, takes care of all these moms and gives them, oh, just the wonderful styles and cuts and the makeup and everything to give them their self-esteem and help mm-hmm. them get out there and, and get their lives back on track, which is just amazing. And uh, so, yeah, there's a bunch of things that we do during the course of the year. So you can always donate, you know, on our website, rickstoysforkids.org. Okay, everybody, you heard it here. What I well, what I, and what I love is, you know, you talked about how the the gifts really represent hope for the kids. Yeah. And you know the the makeovers and that kind of thing to me, that is holding up a mirror to people's potential. So yeah. often, you know, you you get this feeling of like, oh well, you know, this is what it is, or this is the best it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And when somebody mm-hmm. shows you what can yeah. be, yeah. Suddenly, that's just enough to keep going. Yeah. The, the Broadview Women's Shelter, uh, all the ladies over there that help these ladies and their kids, they're, they're really the heroes. They're really the heroes in our community. And we help them. We give them the resources, toys at Christmas time. We also donate money so they can do this wonderful work. And these ladies just need to be reminded that, uh, you know, they are beautiful and uh, you know, they've been taken out of these horrible situations from their insignificant others mm-hmm. that they can continue with their lives in a safe, warm, clean place for them and their children, mm-hmm. their kids growing up and get their lives back on track. And it's just an amazing. I love the Broadview Women's Shelter and the people who work there. And yeah, I'm going to miss it because we won't be able to have a Christmas party this year. But that's my favorite, you know, is when the kids tear open the gifts and everything. Mm-hmm. Because they get to pick what they want and everything, and they're all wrapped up. And the other places are huge. You know, we buy toys for 1,500 kids at sure. the Harborview Hospital and uh, Atlanta Street Center. And Country Doctors, like over 2,000 kids. Wow. Believe it or not, they wrapped all those gifts over there. Lori McKean and all their volunteers over there. Ronald gifts. McDonald. Oh, but that Broadview Women's Shelter is really something special, and we're so happy to partner with them to help out the moms and uh, the moms and the kids. That's amazing. Good for you. And you know, right. I know you. you're. I know you're talking about how everyone else is the superheroes, and it's true. But you know what? Superheroes need their tools, right? They yeah, need their mask. They need, they need their cape. They need their yeah. spidey sense, whatever it is. And so, <laughs> you know, any of us that can help in some way to yeah. make sure that that toolkit is filled, yeah. it's all equally important. Okay, so now let's get back to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's Stacy. It's always how about did all me. this get started for you? <laughs> well, funny, I was going to ask you, you know, since since we're here and you have been broadcasting forever and since I'm on show three. Yeah. And you're you know, doing great, well, by the way. Thank you. You're I, welcome. I'm only sweating a little bit, and that's mostly because I'm 50. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you. Oh, I did tell you how old I am. <laughs> well, right? So, I mean, it's a thing. Um, so, obviously, to have stayed with a ball club for so long, and, you know, and you've, I mean, you're an icon. And, oh, well, I mean, you know, I'm, it's, it's true. I had to do research, but it's true. <laughs> you know, being a Yankee fan at all. Um, but you've created you know, a voice now, and not just the voice, but a point of view and something that, yes, your catchphrases and those kinds of things and something that you're known for, that that tone, that personality. Yeah. Like, is that just something that's innate or is that practice? Is it both? What are, I, you, what are I, your tips? Help me out here. Right? I, I, think it's, I think it's both. Uh, first of all, it starts from the love of the game. You know, as I talked about playing it as a kid and listening to Jack Brickhouse and 
listening to uh, Jack Brickhouse, by the way, for the folks out there, was the Hall of Fame broadcaster for the Cubs for 40 years. And his home run call was, hey, hey, you know, when Ron Sano would hit a home run. Ronnie, by the way, grew up at Frank in Seattle, Franklin High School. Oh, really? Yeah. Hey, Ernie, you know, so everybody as a broadcaster, you got to have your signature home run call. And mm-hmm. mine is goodbye baseball. And, uh, you know, and holy smokes, everybody, a lot of guys, broadcasters at Holy Toledo. And, and I love Steve Rabel. Yeah, holy catfish, you know. Nice. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So, uh, you know, it, it's just something that comes with time. You can't think about it or rehearse it. It just happens, the great moments. That's why Dave Niehaus was so great. Mm-hmm. You know, he was there all the time, but he was really there for the great moments. And that's that's what I really learned being with David for 25 years sitting next to him. He got me here in 1983. Mm-hmm. I was here for nine years. Went to Detroit, tried to replace a legend there, Ernie Harwell. That didn't work out. He got me back. Thank God he got me back in 1995. Didn't mess that, that season. Been here since. So, you know, just watching him do his craft, and it really is an art. Uh, the way that he would set the scene when Edgar hit the double, you know, uh, Edgar took a fastball for a strike, and I go, oh, Poppy, what are you doing, you know, because he would murder a strike, a fastball, but he was waiting for a forkball. Jack McDowell, who was pitching for the Yankees in the top of the and bottom of the 11th inning, mm-hmm. struck him out on a forkball in the bottom of the ninth inning. Edgar, being the great hitter he was, was looking for the forkball, mm-hmm. and Dave Niehaus said, Meant with Joey Coran at third base, who had a bunt single. Junior was on at first base. He had an RBI. He had a single up the middle, first and third. And David said, "Man, all we, all Edgar needs right here is a base hit down the line or in the gap. And with Junior's speed, he could score from first base, and the Mariners could win this thing." Next pitch, swinging a line drive down the left field line. Joey scores. Game's tied. Juniors to third. They're going to wave him in. The throw will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. My oh my! Just continues. I took my headphones off. During this moment, because I'm the number two guy, Dave Niehaus, one of the greatest broadcasters of all times in the Hall of Fame, I knew I didn't want to mess up anything that he was going to do right there because I knew it was going to be gold. Mm -hmm. And so I took my headphones off, and I'm jumping up and down, running with Junior, and that's the fastest I've ever seen Griffey run in my (laughs) life. And then I finally sat down, and the celebration was going, and, and when I looked at Dave, and he he kind of took a big sigh and he kind of wrapped it up. I knew it was time for, I could come in. As David, pandemonium in the kingdom, 57,000 fans are going crazy. Edgar's getting mobbed at second base. Junior's getting mobbed at home plate. People are hugging and kissing each other. This is an amazing sight at the kingdom. We're going to the play, you know, made the playoffs mm-hmm. for the first time and now going to the American League Championship Series. And I just kind of filled in, but I waited. Being the number two guy, you got to know your role. Let that guy, the number one guy, Dave Niehaus, do his job. And nobody did it better than Dave Niehaus during all those lean years. And I got here in 1983. We started in 77. We didn't win a lot of ball games, mm-hmm. But people tuned in because of Dave Niehaus. And, and he was so good because he told stories. And that's what I love to do. I love to tell stories. Mm-hmm. I like to get away from the stats. It's all about the stories and making these guys human. You know, from Ken Griffey Jr., who made that great catch in Yankee Stadium, robbing Jesse Barfield of a home run, Mm -hmm. you know, in 1989. And then Kyle Lewis this year, robbing Ramon Laureano of a Grand Slam home run. And to see the reaction, it was so similar. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to compare Kyle Lewis to Ken Griffey Jr., but uh, the reaction was just beautiful. And that's what I like to do is is make these guys human and tell stories like you do. I I like to talk. Well, 
Thank you. And of course, we're out of time here. No. I know. It's crazy. Um, We are. But you know what? I needed to sit by and be the number two person and let you go. Oh, so thank Stacey, you, Rick. This was fun. This flew by. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining. Enjoy. And uh, we'll see you next week on Don't Ask Me to Talk. I will have Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen. Oh, yeah, sounds good. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah.